Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to Patreon.com and become a member of The Brian McClanahan Show. For 10 bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to Patreon.com. Get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. Did Abraham Lincoln screw up America? Absolutely. So did a litany of other presidents, and I've got all of them in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. It's one of my favorite books that I've written. You're really going to love it, and you might even be shocked about who I include in those nine presidents, including Abraham Lincoln. Pick it up wherever books are sold online. I guarantee you'll love it. Who is the worst, period, president, period, ever, period? Well, take a guess if you got TDS and you're a leftist. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. All right. Well, it is George Washington's birthday. We had President's Day, quote-unquote, this past Monday. And so presidents have been in the news. And I've done a lot of things on presidents. I've given you on YouTube my top five and lowest five, or five best and five worst presidents. You can find that there. I've also got a great class at McClanahan Academy on the American presidents, which... I don't have Donald Trump in that class yet, but if you did sign up for that class when I add it, which I will, probably this year sometime, uh, you'll get that free of charge, right? You've already signed up for it, so you get as we add. And then, of course, later on, we'll put Biden in there. We'll just add to it, right? So you keep getting more and more. Well, let's think about uh, this question. Who is the worst president ever? Well, if you're the Los Angeles Times and you're Joseph Ellis... Then, of course, the worst period, president period ever period, is going to be Donald Trump. Now, I I highlight the way that they had that title because it's so juvenile and typical for what you get from these millennials or Gen uh, Gen Zers or whoever it is, Zoomers, whoever's writing this stuff. I have no idea who's writing this stuff now, but I don't think Joseph Ellis wrote that. If he did, I would be surprised. But Joseph Ellis comes up with an opinion piece for the Los Angeles Times, and it throws Trump under the bus, which, of course, you would think that's going to be the case. Of course, let me let me talk a little bit about President's Day just for a second. President's Day is ridiculous. As I mentioned in my, my book on nine presidents, and, of course, the Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution and others, this whole idea of a day to celebrate presidents is absolutely ridiculous. It isn't really an official holiday, We had Lincoln's birthday and, of course, Washington's birthday in February. So Richard Nixon thought it might be a pretty good idea, or at least the Congress at that time, to kind of put all these things together. But we don't actually have an official holiday for President's Day. 
It's just something that people have come up with. Instead of celebrating George Washington's birthday, or at least calling it that, that's the official name for the holiday. We call it President's Day to roll in all these other kings that we've had in American history, and let's celebrate them all. I mean, we should celebrate Woodrow Wilson equally with George Washington, or how about Abraham Lincoln with John Tyler? There's a really good essay, by the way, that was published in the early 20th century by line gardener Tyler, and it was a comparison of Tyler and Lincoln, and it's really funny. You don't often see that, but of course, line gardener Tyler, who is the son of John Tyler, was protecting his father's image and reputation because you had a whole bunch of dopes, even at that time, writing stupid stuff about John Tyler. And so line gardener Tyler took it upon himself to ensure that his father's legacy, which is a good legacy, would be protected. In fact, as I've said before, John Tyler should be ranked up among the best presidents in American history for at least using the method of grading them by their oaths. Now, this piece is typical for what we're going to find among establishment historians. In fact, that's what it's all about. Now, let me give you a little background about Joseph Ellis before I get into the piece. It's not a long piece. It's a really short piece, in fact. But let me talk about Joseph Ellis for a minute. Joseph Ellis has written a number of popular history books. Now, he's been he taught for a long time at a private uh, liberal arts school. I believe in Pennsylvania is where it was. In fact, he started teaching there in the 1970s after he finished some time in the military. Joseph Ellis is well known for being a liar, which is hilarious when we get into this piece because that's what Joseph Ellis is going to be critical of Donald Trump for doing. Blowing it. Uh, making him seem more important than he was, blowing up his accomplishments, outsizing his influence. The same thing Joseph Ellis happened to do when he was teaching classes at this very small liberal arts college in Pennsylvania. In fact, this all came to a head around 2001. Joseph Ellis had written a couple of really interesting books on the founding generation. One, which they're, they're actually they're really fun to read. They're, they're not bad reads. Founding Brothers, I think the title of it is. And uh, he had become a pretty pretty popular historian. You go into your local Books A Million or Barnes & Noble or whatever, the few remaining uh, you know bookstores we have left, but the big bookstores, you're going to find a whole bunch of Joseph Ellis stuff sitting on the shelf, even to this day. He's kind of like John Meacham or some of these other popular historians. He's got some, some credibility among the uh, book purchasers, and the major uh, publishing houses in America. Why? I don't know. Because of who he is. Personally, this man lies, which is the problem. Now, he's never been accused of plagiarism. And I find there was actually an article written about this, which was hilarious. Investigation into Joseph Ellis finds that, well, even though he lied to all of his colleagues and students about everything that he did during the Vietnam War and other things... Uh, it, it's not, it, it, didn't, it didn't go after the rigorous academic standards that the establishment has, has required for people in the historical profession. You mean like all the plagiarists that we're fighting, like Kevin Cruz. So this is laughable that anything would even be said about that. But anyways, Joseph Ellis, while he was teaching, said that he was, <laughs> he had all these really important jobs during the Vietnam War. He, in fact, was even helping plan the American offensive against the North Vietnamese. Of course, none of that was true. He was stuck teaching history somewhere, never even saw any combat. But according to Joseph Ellis, 
He was on the front line fighting the Viet Cong in the and uh, in, in South Vietnam, and then he was engaging the North Vietnamese Army and planning the offensives. And of course, none of that was true. Then, of course, he also came up with other big lies, like he had been part of organizing civil rights demonstrations, and he was really engaged in the civil rights movement. None of that was true. Joseph Ellis lied about all of it. And his excuse? Well, I had a pretty rough upbringing and, you know, I, I was pretty insecure about myself and so I just thought I would lie about all these things. And, you know, I had some personal issues at times and it just led me to lie about all these things I did in my life. I mean, so sure, anybody that's had any problem when they were young and... You know, maybe some family problems. It just, everybody that goes through that would just lie about everything in their life. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't even work. But he had to come up with some excuse. And so while he's put on leave, he eventually comes back and he writes a book about George Washington in that time period. He keeps churning out books. And people keep buying this stuff, even though they know that Joseph Ellis is a first-class liar. First class, if the person is going to do that, if they're going to lie about all these fantastic things they were involved in, how can you trust anything they say about history? Well, because we can go back and look at this. But of course, we know that history is not just about finding the information where, where you have it. It's about interpretation. So how can we trust anything about Joseph Ellis and his interpretation of American history when he lies as much as he does? Now, maybe he's not lying anymore. I don't know. He's been retired for a while now. I don't believe he teaches anymore, but he keeps churning out books or opinion pieces for the Los Angeles Times. Now, I ran across this because some conservative uh, talk show had talked about it. And of course, in their mind, the greatest presidents in American history, well, easy. That would be Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump, and Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> you really can't make this up. Now, I will agree with Joseph Ellis that Donald Trump probably should not be included among the best presidents ever in American history. I mean, when you look at a lot of the things that were done during the Trump administration, there were some major mistakes. The one thing that Trump did that was funny, uh, of course, is his insistence on just giving it back to the left whenever he could. And he has taken extreme personal attacks on this. On, I mean, all kinds of things in his livelihood. I mean, look. He's been now fined, impeached twice, all kinds. They just wanted, they hated this man so much, they had to do everything they could in their power to destroy him financially, destroy his reputation, everything they could. Remember, this guy is one of them, and I think that's their greatest fault with him. Uh, Dave Chappelle had the skit right when he said, Donald Trump was unique in the history of all the crooks in America, all the establishment crooks. Why was he unique? Because we all know they're behind the closed doors. We all know they're back there doing all this stuff. They're corrupt. They're doing all kinds of dirty things to the American public. I mean, they're just really giving it to us. Donald Trump was the only one that walked out of the house and said, you know, it's all true. Everything you think about all the corruption, it's all real. And then he walked back in the house and kept on doing it. So he opened the door to the American public and said, yeah, all those things you think about us, they're all true. And then he went back inside. That's why they hated him. If he had just kept the door closed and kept being Donald Trump and really didn't care about what was going on back there and just kept doing it, they never would have ruined this guy. But he exposed them. And because he exposed them, even though he didn't do anything about it, I mean, look, 
Trump during the uh, COVID, during the, the, pan, the quote unquote pandemic, was awful. Awful. Uh, Trump, in terms of the expansion of the government and spending and all of those things, awful. Uh, gun rights, terrible. I mean, you can look, go down the list. Trump sounded, you know, very much as a federalist. You know, when I say federalist, a lowercase f, look at the states doing some things, terrible on a lot of things. Of course, part of that was because of who he invited into his administration. When you stack it with West Coast Straussians and neocons, you've got a real problem. One thing you can say about Trump, where he was good, was that we didn't get any, we didn't start any foreign wars during the Trump administration. That's good. Domestically, Trump was just as bad as everybody else. He also did veto the bill that created the naming commission. Of course, the Congress and the stupid Republicans in there overrode that veto. So I can say some good things about Trump. I don't think he's going to be in the bottom, uh, the worst group. I mean, I don't think he's in that group. He certainly, uh, though, won't be at the top, even though he thinks he will be. So I actually agree with Joseph Ellis on this. But the, the piece is hilarious. Uh hilarious for what Joseph Ellis says about these things. Okay. He says, on several occasions, Trump's has suggested that he expects to take his place on the list of former presidents aside Abraham Lincoln, presumably knocking George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and all the others in the top rank down a tick. To put it politely, he needs to adjust his expectations. Well, I would agree. I mean, Trump's not going to be there. Of course, the problem with this is that Abraham Lincoln shouldn't be in the top tier at all. Abraham Lincoln should be in the bottom tier if we just look at their oath of office. Lincoln's one of the worst. Washington and Jefferson, pretty good, even though I do take apart George Washington for listening to Hamilton too much in my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. And Jefferson's second term was pretty bad. But regardless, I mean, I would... If you're just going to weigh it on their oath of office. Neither one of those people, neither one of Washington or Jefferson were bad. I mean, they should be in the top group. So Ellis says, if, although he has been accustomed to grading himself, those days are over. Also over are the days when he can celebrate his ratings based on the profuse praise from ardent fans of his Twitter account or his forever friendly true believers on Fox News. Gone are the days. His fate is now in the hands of American historians and those political scientists who specialize in the presidency. Now, that's funny. His fate is now in the hands of establishment dopes like me, Joseph Ellis. Those political scientists who specialize in the presidency. Yes, because they know all and they are unbiased. You look at all these presidential rankings, they're all stupid. They're all stupid. They're worthless. Why anybody would listen to these things or even think that they're valuable in any way is beyond me. Because all of them are looking at, well, you know how we rank a president? How much power did this guy have? How much, how much did he abuse power? That's actually the better indicator of a good president. Let's see. How much power did this president abuse? Did he start a war? Oh, then he's a great president. Look at the great presidents. We've got Abraham Lincoln. Started a great big war that killed America, a million Americans. Great president. Shredded the Constitution. Trounced on civil liberties. Fantastic president. Oh, then we've got other great presidents like, um, let's see, FDR. Great president. Was elected four times. Broke the precedent for only serving two terms because we needed a man in office who knew how to handle this wartime situation. Then gets us involved in the war. On purpose. 
This is at least the Charles Tansell thesis in Backdoor to War. But we've got that. Oh, that's not good enough. I mean, remember, Roosevelt's popularity was tanking by the end of his second term, right? So this is 1940, but because we've got war clouds on the horizon, well, then we've got to have him again. We've got to get old FDR back in the office. And so we get FDR again. And what does he do? As the New Deal was waning, well, we've got a great big war. You know what happens when we've got a great big war? We need a great big military, militarized economy to go out and fight this war. So we get the New Deal on steroids, along with a standing army that's never gone away. Great president. Harry Truman, great president. Same thing. He could have demilitarized, demobilized after the war's over. Nah, we're just going to take all these programs and call them something else. And we're going to keep the biggest army in the world, well, the biggest army in the world at that time. Now, of course, we know that in terms of manpower, there are bigger, but nobody spends more than the United States because we got to go out and build and buy all this stuff. Got to have it. What about some of the other great presidents? George Washington's good. I mean, look, if Washington's in the top five, I'm good with that. And I would rank him up there. Washington's fine with that, even though he listened to Hamilton way too much with the Whiskey Rebellion. His neutrality proclamation was a problem. There are things about Washington I can even point out. Thomas Jefferson, fantastic in the first term, really bad in the second, even though I said that he is one of the four presidents who tried to save America and nine presidents who screwed up America and four tried to save her. You should get that book, by the way. Great book. Uh, and then, of course, you look at some of the other you know, great presidents that we have on the list. They've all done horrible things, started wars, expanded government power, done all kinds of stuff. That's what makes a great president. Not adhering to their oath of office. No, no, no. That's silly. Because those presidents, that would be guys like John Tyler or Martin Van Buren or uh, people like that. No, they stink. Or Franklin Pierce. Or James Buchanan. Or Andrew Johnson. Now, all those guys stink. Why? Because they were vetoing worthwhile legislation. In other words, they needed to sign the activist legislation that was completely unconstitutional so that we could have bigger and bigger government. You see, this is what happens. This is why we have historians and political scientists ranking presidents so these stupid people can tell us stupid things. Seriously, this is what we get. So then Ellis says this, these scholarly assessment of presidents dates from 1948 when Arthur Schlesinger Sr. launched their tradition at Harvard. I have to understand who Arthur Schlesinger Sr. was. A major progressive historian. Major. Uh, and of course, his son continued the tradition. Since then, presidential rankings have been recalibrated off and on in projects taken up at various times by the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Sun-Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Political Science Quarterly. In recent years, the most cited poll has been conducted in the second year of each president's first term by the Siena College Research Institute. Wikipedia now publishes an online digest of all the scholarly rankings. So let's look at these. A remarkable consensus has emerged over time about the top and bottom of the list. A remarkable consensus. Yes, it's remarkable because it's remarkably stupid. It's remarkably stupid because it shows you the sheeple that we have in the historical profession. Because if you say anything against this, oh no, no. You have just bucked the establishment trend. You have spoken against the consensus. And therefore, you are persona non grata. You are ostracized, right? You're done. 
The top five are often referred to as Mount Rushmore plus one. George Washington, good. Thomas Jefferson, good. And then you get the three bad. Abraham Lincoln, I just talked about him. Roosevelt, I already talked about him. And then the other Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. Yes, we got to have Teddy Roosevelt. The guy that uh, you know thought that we needed good legislative programs for America, like a square deal. I mean, we had the square deal, we got the new deal, we got the fair deal, but of course all those were the raw deal. You see? But Teddy Roosevelt, who came in and said, you know what we need to do? We need to have a much more active presidency, building on Abraham Lincoln. You see, if you read Roosevelt, which of course, if you've got my American progressivism class at McClanahan Academy, you do. I give you some Roosevelt. Maybe I should do you know, some of these reading classes for all these presidents. We can really dive into their views on things. But certainly, when you read Roosevelt, you get out of him a view of government that is completely alien to what the founding generation wanted. Uh, he does think that the central authority has a whole list of things it needs to do, and all of which would be unconstitutional, but that's okay. All these people are really bad except for Washington and Jefferson. The bottom five include the likes of Franklin Pierce, Millard Fillmore, James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, and Warren Harding. Now, why? Why would those be in the bottom five? Let's investigate. Why would they think these would be in the bottom five? I bet you if you asked these, these scholars, historians, political scientists, they probably couldn't give you a valid reason for putting them in the bottom five. I'm going to tell you why they would put Johnson down there, they might give you one for that. Yeah, because he's a racist. Because he, he's a racist. Didn't you see what he said? He's just racist. Well, was George Washington a racist? Yeah. How about Thomas Jefferson? Yeah. How about Franklin Roosevelt? Yeah. How about uh, Teddy Roosevelt? Uh-huh. How about Abraham Lincoln? Definitely. So if that's going to be the, <laughs> the criteria for why we put somebody in the bottom, well, then I guess all those guys should be in the bottom too. But Andrew Johnson was a racist. You see why? Because he's trying to veto legislation that the Republicans wanted, which would centralize power and create a big monstrosity central government that would do everything we wanted to do. Ah, see? That's the problem. And he was impeached. Well, if that's the criteria, should not Bill Clinton be in the bottom then? Because he was impeached. So shouldn't he be down near the bottom? Oh, no, no, no. That was politically motivated. Well, that was bad. We, we, can't, we can't count that Bill Clinton impeachment. Politically motivated. The Andrew Johnson impeachment was not politically motivated. This guy broke the law. A law that the Republicans wrote so that he would break it so they would impeach him. Uh, well, Donald, I mean, Donald Trump was, uh, you, Donald Trump's impeached twice. That makes him bad. What about Bill Clinton? No, no, no. Donald Trump was impeached because he was doing all kinds of horrible things. Like what? He's never been, uh, I mean, the, the Russian dossier, which is fake. All that. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is what we get. This is why these people are so stupid. Uh, what about James Buchanan? Oh, that guy's terrible. That guy's terrible. You want to know why he's terrible? Because he didn't do anything about Southern secession. Now, think about this logically. While James Buchanan was president, remember, Lincoln is elected. At least it's clear he's going to be elected in November of 1860. The Electoral College will meet. Everyone knows he's going to be elected president. He is not sworn in until March of 1861. So think about this. James Buchanan is president in that period of time. We're talking about five months. Five months, practically, that James Buchanan is president. And if you narrow it down, it's actually more like four. Four months, we have President James Buchanan. Did we go to war? There was a little bit of tension, 
But did we have a war? Also, we only had seven states out of the Union at that point. Seven. What about the others? They didn't leave the Union. They were still in the Union. Do we have a great shooting contest? No. Nah, didn't have any of that. Buchanan leaves. Lincoln comes in. And what happens? Within a month, we have a war. We have a big shooting contest. We have a million people killed in four years. Which one was actually better for Americans overall? Which one had a peaceful stalemate, which might have been able to be negotiated at some point? Well, how about James Buchanan? There's actually a, a theory out there that William H. Seward would have been better than Lincoln at negotiating a settlement, and maybe the Union could have been preserved as it was. But the other funny thing, if the Union was dissolved, as all these little lefties are starting to run around saying, see, the South Carolinians said the whole Union was dissolved. It didn't exist anymore. That's really funny because, well, James Buchanan was still president, and Abraham Lincoln was sworn in, and if the Union's not there, then what the heck are these people doing? How about the Congress? It's still sitting there during all this time. We still have an Army and Navy. All that stuff's there. If the Union's dissolved, who are these people? <laughs> who are these people? This is the funniest part of all of it. This is why these people are so stupid. And then, of course, you've got Millard Fillmore. Why is Fillmore so bad? I don't know. They probably can't even tell you one thing about Millard Fillmore. Oh, well. Uh, he gave us the Compromise of 1850. You mean the compromise that actually prevented secession in 1850? Remember, when Fillmore becomes president, Zachary Taylor had just died, and Fillmore was interested in ushering that compromise of 1850 through, getting the various pieces of legislation passed through the Congress. He signed them. That made it to where the Union was preserved, secession sentiment died, all the radicals were booted out of power, essentially, and we had a real solid Union, at least until... 1854, when, of course, you get some disruption there again. But, why is he a bad guy? I bet you they can't even tell him anything. There's nothing to... I, I almost guarantee you there's there's really nothing these people can tell you about. How about Franklin Pierce? Oh, no, no, bad, terrible, terrible. Franklin Pierce is terrible. Why? Because, well, well, he, he allowed Southerners to have some say in the government. I mean, like... You know, a real union where there was Northerners and Southerners involved in this thing? I mean, this is the funniest thing about all this. Oh, yeah, Franklin Pierce also vetoed a whole bunch of unconstitutional legislation. That also makes him a bad guy. Then Ellis says this. Lincoln, who saved the union. Which union? Not the original union. So it should say Lincoln who recreated America, who led a revolution against the Constitution, was number one. I guess if that's what you want to say is your most important thing, then he shouldn't be. In an American Political Science Association poll in 2015, Buchanan, who was prepared to let the South secede, ooh, what a ringing endorsement of James Buchanan. <laughs> Why? I mean, you know, if that had happened, you know what we wouldn't have had? We wouldn't have had North Carolina or Virginia or Tennessee out of the Union. That wouldn't have happened or Missouri, that wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have had Kentucky think about it, Maryland, Delaware, all that. They would have all stayed. But because we get Lincoln, we get a big war. So, Buchanan was willing to let the South secede, which would have prevented a war. We still would have had all those people killed survive. You would have had the slavery issue dealt with in a different way 
because you still would have had a number of slave states in the United States that were not interested in leaving the Union. Maybe there would have been a negotiated settlement. Maybe something would have happened to keep these states in the Union. We know Abraham Lincoln. Notice he doesn't say Lincoln who freed the slaves. It's Lincoln who saved the Union. We know Abraham Lincoln was willing to allow slavery to exist until at least 1900. But if you look at the, the details in that, it would have been longer than that. Because what would have happened is the people that were young, born in that time, they would have been able to be enslaved until the early part of the 20th century. So we're talking 1910 into maybe even 1920. And he told Southerners, hey, look, y'all just come on in, vote down that 13th Amendment. We're good. We're good. Probably the greatest shift in the rankings, Ellis says, has occurred with Ulysses S. Grant, who began at the bottom of the list, but has made his way to the top half in some recent polls. Again, idiotic. Idiotic. Grant was not a good president. Grant's, Grant's administration, we're going to blame the, all the bad things, and Grant needs to take the hit for all the idiotic things of his administration. His Indian policy? Horrible. His foreign policy? Bad. Domestic policy? Worse. Grant's terrible. But... We've got a bunch of righteous cause mythologists now who are in love with U.S. Grant who are trying to promote his position. Where will Trump land? Several factors will work against him. In any case, one-term presidents tend to rank low. Impeached presidents also suffer in the ratings, unless you're Bill Clinton. And Trump may be impeached twice. And what amounted to a preliminary peak, the political scientist group included Trump on his 2018 presidential list. He finished last. That assessment, of course, was made before we watched him incite chaos at the U.S. Capitol. Of course, he didn't. And before his epic failure in managing the COVID-19 crisis, which, of course, was driven by, well, other people in his administration. But yes, I will, I will certainly say the mismanagement was not Trump's. I mean, why doesn't Cuomo in New York take a big hit for this and what he did, letting people in nursing homes die and everything else? Of course not, because he's a darling of the left. Some measure, notice how he doesn't say insurrection, he says incite chaos, but not insurrection, chaos. This is Joseph Ellis. So before they got the, that all the lefties got the memo that you got to, it's got to be inciting uh, insurrection. Some measure of salvation for Trump may come in popular polls, such as those conducted by Gallup and Quinnipiac University, which track the opinion of ordinary citizens, usually about recent presidents. Trump is likely to dismiss the scholarly assessment in the same strident fashion that he's dismissed the electoral defeat, claiming the ratings are rigged. Well, that's not necessarily untrue. you got a bunch of lefties. Now, Ellis says, well, of course they're not rigged. Look at this. For the last decade, John Kennedy and Ronald Reagan have vied for the top of popular ratings while ranking mostly out of the top ten in scholarly polls. Because John Kennedy and Ronald Reagan, they're not really, but I mean, saying these scholars, you know, popular polls, but scholars, you know, they, they rank these people lower. So maybe there's something to this, but maybe not. My own best guess is that the popular vote on the Trump presidency will be bimodal. His loyal followers will rank him first. A larger group will rank him, rank him last. He is likely enough just below the middle where Jimmy Carter currently resides. Over the long, however, it's the historians who write the history and therefore will decide how posterity remembers Trump. Over the long haul. See, the people will decide that Trump should probably be in the middle somewhere, not the bottom. And since his, But since historians are the ones who get to decide, they will decide how posterity remembers Trump. They will decide these things. You see, this is the history wars. This is why 
Heather Cox Richardson is so important. This is why these historians are they're just so important, because they get to decide how we all remember things. I suspect the tour guys at Buchanan's National Historic Landmark home place, Wheatland, in Pennsylvania, are already celebrating. Their man, they must fondly hope, will never be last again. Donald Trump is quite likely to assume the title as the worst president in American history. Well, I am not denying that that's what these scholars are going to do, but again... The people that should really be worried about this are the people at Abraham Lincoln or it's celebrating is the people at Abraham Lincoln's presidential library and other things there in Springfield, his museum, his house, because, well, nobody should really be able to unseat him. But if we had to unseat, unseat somebody, maybe it's Abraham Lincoln or, but Trump didn't kill a million Americans. So I don't know. Maybe it's, we look at other things. I'm not going to get into those theories, but. Trump didn't go out and launch a war, I should say, that killed a million Americans. So uh, this is a really fascinating piece. And of course, it was written uh, in 2021, not in, uh, not in 2024. But regardless, it's worth the time to say this is the worst president ever. It's a three-year-old piece. But why? I mean, this is the thing. Why would Trump be the worst? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. At least he shouldn't be. He should be somewhere near the bottom. Granted. But as I mentioned in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, basically, once you get to, uh, well, after Richard Nixon, once you get to Gerald Ford, they all just kind of run together. There really isn't much of a difference between Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. Not much of a difference at all. Jimmy Carter could be thrown into that list. Same thing with Gerald Ford. It's just one long, continuous expansion of executive power, and they all just abuse it and do the same things, just in a little different way. So if we're really going to be honest, everybody in that list should be considered near the bottom because they're all really bad, but they're all a symptom of the disease rather than the disease itself. So there's my George Washington birthday take on who is the worst, sure as heck, should be Abraham Lincoln, or maybe Rudrow Wilson, or maybe FDR. I mean, you can, Lyndon Johnson, Harry Truman, they should all be in the bottom. You could even throw Donald Trump in that list if you want to, and some of the others, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, all of them. Joe Biden, absolutely. They should all be down there. But not for the reasons that Joseph Ellis gives. All right. See you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.